Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. If we've learned anything in the past two years, it's that our world is interconnected more than ever before. Countries that are close trading partners are rarely insulated from each other. In Canada, we have a saying that when the U.S. economy sneezes, Canada catches a cold. We've talked extensively on this show on the concept of counterparty risk. Back in 2010, you might remember many European banks, particularly in France, were on the verge of insolvency as the result of exposure to Greek sovereign debt. In the end, European and foreign investors solved the problem by lending Greece even more money. They kicked the can down the road and averted catastrophe, but they didn't really solve the problem. So far, Greece has repaid a little over 40 billion euros of the 320 billion of new money that was extended to Greece at that time. Why is it that banks in France could be on the brink of insolvency due to a few Greek government bonds? Let's put this in perspective. Greece is a tiny country. Despite holding a large place in world history, the total population of Greece is only 12 million people. About 4 million of them live in Athens. Compared to the population of the entire European Union, Greece is a rounding error, and at the time, some of France's largest banks were leveraged more than 30 to 1, meaning they held deposit reserves, in some cases, of only 3%. These same banks had approximately 3% of their balance sheet exposed to Greek sovereign debt, which by itself would be enough to sink some of France's largest banks. The question is, how many other countries out there have gone through economic disruption over the past two years and are facing crushing levels of inflation, crushing levels of debt, and are at increased risk of insolvency. Debt is always a claim on future income. Those borrowers can fall into a debt trap if the future income falls, as happens in a recession, or when changing foreign exchange rates upset the economics. One particular country we need to watch closely is Japan. Since the start of the year, the Japanese yen has fallen in value by 13%. The yen fell almost 2% in just one day this past week. A fall in the value of the yen will make the cost of imports higher. That's in addition to the rising prices that they're already being experienced due to the price of oil, prompting new fears of runaway inflation. Japan imports a large percentage of its food. The country is 75% mountainous and it has very little arable land. Most of the country's 126 million people are concentrated in the small portion of the country along the coastal regions where the land is either usable for urban construction or agriculture. So the cost of food in Japan is rising dramatically, as it has been in other parts of the world. Well, this past week it prompted Japan's central bank to intervene and announced an unlimited bond buying program. The rise in the U.S. yields since the beginning of the year has been 1.3%. It's been 1% in Germany and only 18 basis points in Japan. And the gap between Japanese and U.S. long-term yields has widened to a point that it's encouraging the yen sell-off. The Japanese central bank has a ceiling of 0.25%, being the upper end of the yield target that was set by the Bank of Japan. And over the past couple of years, when yields hit that upper limit of 0.25%, the Bank of Japan has carried unlimited buying purchasing programs in the open market. We expect to see the Bank of Japan resort to the same market operation. So what happens when a country issues debt and there's no buyers for those bonds? What happens if there's no buyers for bonds at 0.25% interest? you could consider this debt to be almost toxic. The Japanese government can't afford to pay higher interest rates without cratering government spending and thereby cratering the economy. They can't afford inflation to get too far ahead of them, otherwise the population will revolt. When sovereign debt is issued and has no buyers, then that's the very definition of toxic debt. 
But when you allow a central bank, whether it's the Federal Reserve or the Bank of Japan, to put newly minted money on the central bank's balance sheet as an asset, that's a complete shell game. The corporate world is very different. Anyone who plays in that game in the corporate world would end up in jail accused of fraud. The corporate world is accountability. We witnessed the impact of a small decline in revenue at Netflix this past week. The stock has lost 69% of its value since its high less than six months ago. Much of the new content on the Netflix platform has been debt financed, and that financing relies upon the continued growth of subscribers and revenue. Even a small pullback in revenue can have devastating consequences for the company. Companies have to follow generally accepted accounting principles, where 1 plus 1 equals 2. And this company, Netflix, was priced for perfection. But central banks can play the game by a different rulebook. They have a joker in their deck of cards. For now, people are willing to still accept the joker, even though the clear and present devaluation of the currency is rampant. The question is, which country is going to run into trouble first? And then, what will the cascade effect be of that counterparty risk when the dominoes start to fall over? Will it be Greece again? Will it be the UK with debt at 345% of GDP? Or maybe the Republic of Ireland with debt of 700% of GDP? We're fixated on the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve. That's important to be sure. But the next financial crisis will be the result of a weaker economy having a cascade impact on the rest of the world. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.